The Comic Book Time Machine, Episode 93, Prez, the first teen president. Hello and welcome back to the Comic Book Time Machine. I'm Ben, Ben Avery. I'm a comic book fan, comic book writer, comic book collector. Most of my collection isn't worth that much, but it's fun. That's why we do this. I mean, if you're collecting comics for money at this point in time and you're making money, that's good. That's very good for you. Um, that's that's just not how I invest in comics. The way I invest in comics is I buy stuff that I'm going to like to read, but the buy, the stuff that I buy that I'm going to like to read ends up not being the kind of thing that's worth that much money, <laughs> but it has value to me, you know, and that's, that's what's important, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and so for the comic book time machine, you know, I guess if I was smart in using this comic book time machine, the way you really could use it, you could go back in time, buy comics off the comic rack and then bring them back to the future or the present i guess and have them in mint condition in fact it seems like i saw a show where they did that what was that oh oh should i even admit this it was the joe dirt sequel (laughs) He went back in time and put some comic books in a shoebox and buried it. And then in the future, dug it up. I should edit this out. Or I should just keep going. Let's keep moving forward. Um, Sorry about my voice. It's a little deeper right now because I do have a sore throat. It's that time of year uh, where people get sore throats. And that's the way it works. But you know what else? You know what other time of year it is? It's that time of year when people go and vote for who is going to be president for the next four years, assuming they can make it through the next four years. And by they making it through the next four years, I mean the president. Although there are some people who, depending on who gets elected, may not be able to make it through the next four years just on principles alone. Man, this election cycle. I am not going to get political. I um, think that some people might be able to figure out my political leanings just from my personal beliefs and the things that I've talked about on different podcasts and stuff like that. Um, I will just say this. I don't have much faith in any presidential candidate, and I'm saddened by a lot of what I see in the political discourse uh, both on stage and on screen and on social media and even in person uh, as people are just not being kind, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to put it that way. In kindergarten terms, people are not being nice. Um, in religious terms, people are not doing unto others as they would have others do unto them. Uh, it's just it's just not working that way right now. And there's a lot of reasons why you can get into a whole lot of different things. And, and there are people who probably are saying to themselves, well, that's not my side. 
And if, 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 if someone is able to say that, um, I just, I just, I, I look at all of the, the stuff going on on, on really both sides. Uh, I say both because there really is not a third side that has much of a voice and, but the two sides that do have the voice, I mean, they, they just, you, you have to overlook a whole lot of bad to be able to see, to, to get into the good. And that's really what it has to happen. I mean, that's, everyone's talking about the, trying to choose the lesser of two evils. That, that's what that means is it means I'm looking at the, my side and I'm saying to myself, I can deal with the evil. I can deal with the bad. And it's just, it's just a mess. I think everyone can probably agree that things are a mess right now with, a, with American political situation. So months ago though, I was in uh, Tom's vintage toy store and it's a toy store comic shop record store it's, it's a little bit of everything as far as vintage stuff goes and while i was in there i found four comics that make up a series of comics that came out in the 70s so what, what we're going to do right now is we're going to jump in the time machine the comic book time machine and we're going to go back to 1973 and we're going to get some comics. Now, these comics, they're called Prez, the first teen president. And there were only four issues that were released. There is a fifth issue that did get uh, printed in Cancel Comics Cavalcade or something like that. And then the character did appear a couple more times in the DC universe, once in Supergirl or something. Um, I don't have those. And... Honestly, I would like to read them. I know that they were collected in a graphic novel, which I would love to get, but I already dropped money on these four issues before the graphic novel came out, at least before I was aware of the graphic novel. And I bought them specifically for this week. I bought them to do a comic book time machine episode for you, dear listeners, while we citizens of the United States are getting ready to elect the next president of the United States. Now, those of you who are not American listeners, that's okay. Uh, we are in your news cycle too, I understand. And a lot of people are watching what's happening here in the United States and wondering what in the world is going to happen. And you're not alone in wondering what in the world is going to happen. Um, and to those of you who are out there, I, all I have to say is, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, there are a lot more things, specific issues that we could dive into and uh, talk about and analyze. I'm going to stop right there and just, you know, because it's a mess. It's it's a mess. And um, there, th this is not the place for me to talk about those things. I'm looking at the overall situation and my own emotional uh, reactions. And I'm looking at that and saying, I need a little bit of an escape. And so I'm going to escape into the past into 1973, grab those comics and read some fictional presidential stories. And I, Oh man, we could, I mean, we could go into 
but so many, uh, so much of what's going on is a fictional presidential story because of the lies being told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you know when a politician is lying? They open their mouth and talk. Okay, I get it. I get it. And I'm there with you. Um, but let's have some fun with the with presidential election and, and let's have some um, nonpartisan fun with it. Although there might be some partisan politics going on in this comic book. But yeah, 1973. Um, let's get in some background with the comic book itself. And then we'll also get in some historical background of what was going on in the United States at the time. Because this is absolutely a reaction to stuff that was going on in the United States at the time. Uh, Prez number one has a cover date of August uh, August and September 1973. Uh, the release date was May uh, 1973, May May 17th, according to Mike's Amazing World. Uh, Prez number two, October, November 1973 cover date. Release date July 1973, July 19th. Prez number three, December, January 1973 cover date. And uh, uh, September 18th, 1973 release date. And finally, Prez number four, February, March 1974, uh, November 15th, 1973 release date. And there is a little uh, strange thing going on here with uh, issue number four. And actually, I thought maybe I missed something because I hadn't looked anything up yet. I just had these four issues. I knew I had one, two, three, and four. And... I was looking at the copyright information on page one of these issues, and I noticed uh, issue number four said volume two, number four. So I'm thinking to myself, did I miss? Are there three issues? At least three. I mean, Prez volume one could have gone one, two, three, and then four, five, and six for all I knew. And then you'd have Prez volume two, which would have had issues one, two, and three, and then this issue four. So I looked it up and there are no more issues. Uh, for some reason, they just called Prez issue number four, volume two. I have I have no idea why. I did a brief look on, on Google and, and could not find any information about that. So yeah, it's just a little uh, weird, weird footnote for this, this comic book. Now, my introduction to Prez came from Neil Gaiman's uh, Sandman, where there was an issue... It appeared in the World's End graphic novel that I had. And in this particular story arc, you had uh, these people who were coming to this uh, this inn that's at the World's End. I mean, this is vague, vague memories I'm basing this on. But basically, a whole bunch of people came to an inn, and they're all telling their stories. It's very much patterned after, like, Canterbury Tales. And uh, all these people who are in the inn, they're telling their different stories. And one of the stories that gets told is the story of Prez the teen president. And so that was my introduction to the character. I did not know of him before that, but after reading that, I did find out, oh, he existed as a, a comic book character in the seventies briefly. So that was my introduction to the character. But then as I continued on in comic book collecting and in finding out about comic book things and um, it just, the, the character came into my awareness. I just never followed through on anything. Uh, so then I go to Tom's vintage toy store and find these Prez comics. I, I, I'm going to buy these. I'm going to read these. This is perfect. I'll do this as a topical episode. And it'll be great because I'll do this around the time of the election. And I've held on to these for months now, months and months. Uh, now, I did not read. There's also a modern 
part of the new 52 maybe i i I don't know but there was another volume of prez that came out recently that has um i believe this character is a supporting character in the book uh but it's a, a girl president and i don't know anything about that i did not read it and maybe i should have but i'm sticking with these four issues and so I did not get the graphic novel. I did not get the new series, but I do have these four issues. I'm going to read them and and then I'm going to discuss them similar to how I did this with the Doctor Strange versus Dracula episode. But before I do that, I, I do want to give a little bit of historical context to what was going on in American politics that this could possibly have been a response to. Now, this is 1973, and I need to make sure I get my dates right here because uh, the comic books were published in the first issue was published in May 1973. The last one was published in November 1970. And I would say that probably by the time the first one hit the stands, they were, you know, deep into creating the third one, maybe even working on, you know, the initial scripts for the fourth one. I, I don't know. I, I couldn't give you a timeline on that because there's there's no way of knowing that right now. But um this is all I would I would say that probably around July, at least they were writing Prez number four and, and prepping the artwork and everything like that. And there was a Prez number five that was supposed to come out. Like I said, I haven't read that one. Maybe I'll do a follow up episode. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe in time for the inauguration. Maybe, maybe that's when I'll do that. But uh, with that issue five and the Supergirl uh, story that he appeared in. But anyway, uh, the the thing is, this is all while Nixon was president. But it's pre-Watergate. In fact, this is actually before uh, Nixon's vice president resigned that all of this stuff would have been created and prepared and, and published. Because a lot of what was going on with Nixon was late 1973 and then into 1974. And so Nixon's vice president, Agnew, uh, resigned in late 1973, but resigned after these things would have been written and Nixon himself, all the Watergate stuff that was going on that uh, the controversy was exploding in, in 74. And that's when uh, Nixon had to step down. And so you have this situation uh, where these comics were not written in response to what you would expect from 1974, 73 era. No, these are written in a response to the buildup to all of that. And you know, and this is where you have a lot of people, you know, they're not trusting the government. Um, we've got really poor decisions happening. And it just there's there's political unrest. There's social unrest. There's I mean, you think about the 60s when you're thinking about like a lot of the youth culture movement and stuff like that. But even here in the 70s, uh, clearly um, the I mean, the ultimate expression of all of that is Nixon and what happened with Nixon, but that didn't happen in a vacuum. And so this comic book here, I, I think was kind of, no, I don't think, I know it was written in response to just a dissatisfaction and a mis, a, a dis, distrust of the political structure as it stood. And so what would be some sort of crazy interesting story to wrap that around how about a president who's a teenager okay that said who would you expect to create something like this well 
you might think it would go to some of the young hotshots at uh, Marvel or DC. For example, um, Steve Gerber, known for his, uh, well, known for Howard the Duck now, which is a satirical look at superhero comics and American culture. Or, you know, Steve Englehart, who did write something within the pages of Captain America that dealt directly with Richard Nixon uh, later in 1974. What what would you expect? I mean, you would expect a young writer, uh, maybe someone part of drug culture or something like that. I don't know. Or maybe a guy who is at this time 60 years old and who created or co-created anyway, one of the greatest superhero icons to represent a nation, uh, Captain America. <laughs> That's right. This was created by Joe Simon. And so our, our art team on the first issue that we're going to be getting into in a moment here, uh, it's Joe Simon and Jerry Grandinetti. Now, I don't know much about Jerry Grandinetti, but I do know a little bit about Joe Simon. Um, Joe Simon is with Jack Kirby, the creator of uh, Captain America. <laughs> and so you have this um, basically American propaganda that he is writing here and you know earlier in his career. Uh, and then now you have this kind of response to the dissatisfaction of politics in America. And you know, looking at his his credits, I also see that he did write uh, earlier in the late sixties, uh, "Brother Power the Geek," which got into uh, some of the hippie uh, culture stuff. I don't know if it was drug culture. I haven't read those, but I'm I'm interested now. I'm very curious about those. But one of the other things I noticed when I was looking at his credits is he was the creator and editor of a magazine called Sick which was similar to uh, Mad Magazine or Cracked Magazine. Now, this is in 1960 that he did this, but he continued um, editing and creating for this magazine for a, a long time. And that kind of feeds into this with Prez, but you just don't expect a 60-year-old man to be creating something that's meant to be uh, you know, part of youth culture or the anti-establishment. And, or at least you don't expect them to necessarily do it well. You know, the whole idea is, you know, don't trust anyone over 30. And when you're 60, you are double 30. You are definitely over 30. But there is a youthful vibe and we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. So this is another situation like with Dr. Strange and Dracula, where I'm going to pause the recording, read the issue, and then come back and, and kind of analyze it a little bit. So. That's what I'm going to do right now. So for you, you're kind of in a time machine. You're going to pop into the future, into my future, and and I'm going to take you know some time and actually sit down and read the comic. Uh, you could do it too. I don't know if it's available online. I should probably check and see. Let's take a look. Uh, tapity tap tap. And yes, Comicsology has the collected edition that I was talking about for $16.99. So it is there. You could... Go ahead, purchase that on Comixology and, and read along with me. Uh, but right now I'm going to go ahead, pause the recording, and I'm going to read my copy from 1973 of Prez, the first teen president of the United States, issue number one. Prez takes place in the future of 1976, I think. Um, 
basically it's an election year and that's the next one that's coming up. Now, of course, they didn't know that they were going to have a different president come up in the middle of Nixon's term that he's serving as of the publication date of this comic book. But this uh, this is the story of the most powerful man on Earth. He is not a superhero, but a teenager who becomes president of the United States. It is not a true story. Not yet, but someday it may happen. And the history books of the future may read like this story of Prez by Joe Simon and Jerry Grandinetti. Now, here's the deal. Prez is actually named Prez. That's his first name, Prez. And his mother gave him that name because when he was born, she said to herself, one day my baby is going to be president. Little did she know it would happen before he was in his 30s. No, it would happen in his teens. Here's how it all goes down. Uh, Prez lives in the town of Steadfast. And chapter one uh, is actually called The Clocks of Steadfast. And basically, Prez, a race car enthusiast, a race car racer, and he's upset because all of the clocks in Steadfast are incorrect. None of them are on time with each other. And so I don't exactly know how this works. The thing that kind of sets him off is he wants to know his time for the race. And one guy has six minutes, 27 seconds. The other guy has five minutes, 30 seconds. And it's because they set their times by the different clocks, one by the church steeple, one by the town hall clock. Don't they just start their stopwatch when the race starts? Like it shouldn't affect the timing of their handheld stopwatches but that's beside the point he wants the clocks to all be on the same time so he sets out and he sets all the clocks right and everyone's very happy about this and and he gets some he, he gets some minor celebrity out of that chapter two boss of slum city has uh mr smiley uh, he lives in Slum City. I mean, basically, they, they have a couple pages where they are just setting up how bad things are. You have garbage being dumped in the river. You have um, police who are taking bribes, but they're not calling it a bribe uh, because the money goes directly to Boss Smiley. Um, there's horrible, horrible pollution. And there's riots and... And the police uh, go out and they're they're busting heads. And and then you have Boss Smiley up in his office looking out over all of it. And his yes men are all talking about how wonderful Boss Smiley is going to find the the riot because he loves it when heads get busted. And uh, they talk about how Boss Smiley is mean, awful, uh, vicious. He's mayor of this this city. And he is a short guy with a very round Charlie Brown head that looks like the popular smiley face. Now, on his desk, this is very interesting. He has a Batgirl comic and he has a picture of him with Richard Nixon. And that's on his desk. On his wall, he has a picture of him with Hitler. So, I mean... Clearly, this guy is not a good guy. Uh, I can't help but um, think, uh, using the iconography of the smiley face, this is, uh, it's kind of funny because of the whole, um, the way that, that Walmart uses that iconography as well. 
and then how that iconography that Walmart uses has been turned against it to mean something you know ironic and anyway he's a corrupt politician very corrupt and he's upset because 18 year olds have the vote and he doesn't want them to have the vote because that's that means he has to make that one more subset of people happy. But then he realizes, well, what would happen if I were to get an 18-year-old into the Senate who would be wrapped around my finger? Perfect. He's going to do that. He goes to um, a, a guy named – let's see. Let me make sure I get the right name here. Um, an advertising agency run by Misery Marco. And this is the guy who got him into power. And it's interesting. I mean, the advertising, uh, the, the advertising guy is this villain who got this guy smiley into political power. So what they're going to do is they're going to get Prez Ricard, the guy who made the teenager who made the clocks run on time. They're going to get him elected to the Senate and they're going to get him wrapped around their finger, as I said before. So they go, they make their, they, they present their deal and Prez takes it because um, who wouldn't want to be a senator? He says, well, I can think of lots of people who wouldn't want to be. But, you know, that's uh, he's a teenager, right? You know, and so they leave. And as they leave, this is chapter three, Eagle Free. This is our third main character for this particular issue. Eagle Free is an Indian uh, Native American uh, First Nation person. He is someone who lives on the land with lots and lots of animals from, well, I mean, they must be from the zoo or something. He's got uh, gorillas, elephants, deer, zebra, I mean, all sorts of animals. And he's watching as Mr. Smiley's entourage is leaving the town. He's not happy because they're polluting, He, you know, throwing cigars out the window and uh, Prez, Ricard himself actually blows up a dam um, as part of a ceremony. And this dam sets water, uh, a flood uh, into Free Eagle's area. And so he and his animals get on a boat <laughs> like Noah's Ark and they go to where all of the construction equipment is and they just destroy the construction equipment. Prez is sent after them. I don't know why. But he goes after them they go and hide in the cave where they live and he stumbles upon the cave meets Eagle free. And he has his whole worldview turned around by Eagle free. He learns from Eagle free and then goes with Eagle free into the city where they go and discover that uh, from some files that are in boss smiley's office, that boss smiley is a really bad guy. And his whole system is a corrupt dictatorship. And they're going to take the papers and use that to expose the system. Boss Smiley finds them at just the right time, you know, but um, he's going to announce a new candidate and he's going to renounce Prez. But it is too late. It is already Election Day and all across America. Teenagers are elected into the Senate so much so that they gain a majority enough majority to be able to change the laws for how old you have to be to be president. And the required age goes from 35 to 18, which means in the next election, Senator Perez Ricard runs on the new flower party ticket and defeats both the Republican and the Democrat candidates to win the presidency. 
after, and I'm reading this directly, after a truth and love campaign, which polarized the generations. <laughs> so now he is in office. The director of the FBI is now Eagle Free. And then there's his mystery vice president who they just show in silhouette. And then they break down the fourth wall. And so I'm just going to read this here. Uh, the vice president says, this is a small sample of the opposition we can expect from the over thirties. In fact, there's already a movement to impeach you, Mr. President. Eagle Free says, we've heard of that conspiracy and we know that it is connected with a plot so ingenious, so sinister that it could destroy the world. It is unprecedented, Mr. President, but we, you and I, must go out into the night to challenge these forces. Talk about history. The next issue will be even more exciting than anything ever recorded. Prez says, oh, you mean the next history book? Eagle Free replies, I mean the next issue of this comic book, Mr. President. And then Prez says, just call me Prez. By the way, I'll bet the reader can't guess who my vice president is. Next issue on sale during third week in July. <laughs> Wait, what? The whole thing. It's it. They just break the fourth wall completely. They know they're in a comic book. I, I, I guess they do. Anyway, just looking at this, um, you know, you can just see this is a response to political corruption. This is a response to um, just the blurring of lines between corporate America and political America. Um, advertising agency that is used to get people into office so they can use their power to do um, unkind, mean, awful, terrible, no good, very bad things. And then you have um, Eagle Free, who, like I said, is a um, American Indian, and he uh, he's both one of the best things of the issue and also one of the worst things of the issue. Clearly, I mean, they're drawing upon all these stereotypes of the noble savage, and, and they're drawing on these um, ideas of this guy who, you know, he he went to American universities, but now he wants to live off the land with the animals, and. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't really speak to how um, someone who actually is an American Indian would respond to this character. But uh, I mean, he's he's a good he's a force for good. But I, I just can't help feeling I mean, he, he runs around in um, deerskin pants and no shirt and a, a feather in his hair. And so I, I, I just don't know. I mean, the, it seems to me the representation of the character is meant to be good. Uh, but it just feels stereotype. And, and again, I, I don't know. I don't have an experience that allows me to really um, explore how I would feel if I was meant to be one of the people that he's portraying. So I, I, I think it's a little troubling. But at the same time, he is a force for good. He pushes Prez to be a force for good. He is the one who really, not that Prez has much of a character arc, but all the character arc is because Eagle Free is there and exposes him to all of the corruption and exposes him to all the stuff that's going on. And then now he is the FBI director. So uh, the art in the book is great. It walks the fine line between being a cartoon and being a realistic comic. And it, it walks the line 
very, very well. I mean, there's definitely caricature stuff going on when you are seeing people who are meant to be actual people like Lincoln, Hitler, Gandhi, Nixon. But then the, you know, Smiley, he has no features at all except for his round face with a smiley face. And so this is not, I mean, this is satire. It is not Mad Magazine type satire, but it comes close and and then when they break the fourth wall at the end, it just feels like I mean this is this is all over the places and it's a neat comic, it's a neat premise, and it's it's interesting. Uh, I enjoyed reading it. It's it's goofy, and I wasn't sure what to expect while I was reading it because I couldn't tell: are we going to go into goofy areas, or are we going to go into serious areas? And it goes into both. And so it's it's more than just um, you know your Mad Magazine joke making. Uh, but it is getting into some some satire and and, you know, we'll, and then also asking the, the what if questions of what if a, a teenager was president. And then there's that mystery of who his vice president is. <laughs> so I'm going to read issue two now and find out who is his vice president. We will see. Issue number two is also by Joe Simon and Jerry Grandinetti. Grandinetti. And it's called The Invasion of the Chessmen, as with the first issue is divided into chapters. And in the first chapter, Prez is on a tour of the world, visiting world leaders in Bangladesh, China, Russia, Israel, Egypt, Ireland, New York City. In New York City, he visits the UN and get, delivers a speech that and the all, all we get of the speech is peace in our time which is a very stirring speech. But as he's going along, he is, there's a ton of assassination attempts on him, blowing up planes that they think, you know, that look just like his, uh, to the point where when he is at the Washington airport to return back uh, to, the, to the White House, they have a line of cars that have dummies that look exactly like Prez to protect him from any assassination attempts. Now, visiting Hong Kong, I can't help but think about how, I think it was 1972, Nixon went to China, and there's that that idea that only Nixon could have gone to China to have helped with the situation there. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's all, it's all a worldwide thing. He wants to bring peace. Chapter 2, the title is The Chess king and so now we're getting into some of the cold war kind of stuff because you you may have heard of the chess master bobby fisher who became a, uh well he he defeated a russian chess master in in the early 70s and the chess king is actually named um again want to get the the name right um robbie fishhead <laughs> so you have bobby fisher and robbie fishhead now robbie fishhead is eccentric he wears a crown he has the a cape with a furry collar uh he's wearing chain mail um big you know swashbuckling boots and he's playing chess with the vice president and we find out the vice president is prez's mom <laughs> and so that's the big secret that's the big secret from last issue and she's running around can i get you some lunch can i get you a hot toddy <laughs> That kind of thing. It's kind of funny. She loses uh, in chess, but we break the fourth wall again because um, Prez introduces himself. Uh, he 
well, he doesn't introduce himself. The chess king says, there there you are, Prez, right on time. And Prez says, yes, chess king, I believe in fulfilling my campaign promise. Vote for Prez. He'll always give you the right time. And then chess king says, yeah, I remember reading it in the first issue. So we're breaking the fourth wall all over the place in this series. But the important thing that's going on here is that uh, we're introducing ourselves to the chess king who only cares about money. That's all he cares about. And he's going to uh, go and and go up against the Russians one more time in a uh, a public match. So it's the American uh, chess king versus the Russian chess queen in a life size uh, chess match using real people who are walking from place to place on the chessboard in a stadium. But uh, Chess King has been accused of cheating against the Russians, and that's how he got the uh, the chess uh, title. And now the Russians, he is accusing them of cheating, that they are zapping him with rays to make him go uh, not be able to, to play well. And so he goes nuts. He smashes the clock and basically forfeits the game and that means Russia wins and he saying no no they cheated they cheated and so they take the chess king away and they also rush prez away because this could get dangerous chapter three it does get dangerous because we have a chapter entitled terror in the capital what is that terror well that terror is mechanical chessmen who are going around all over the capital and blowing up And then you also have old men in the Senate who are rising up to say, Prez can't lead our nation. The word impeachment is bandied about, and Prez realizes he needs to talk to his director of the FBI. But he needs to do so in secret so that people don't know he's doing it, leading us into Chapter 4, Poison Pawn. So Prez visits Eagle Free at his office, which is a teepee in the middle of the park which you know it's on the banks of potomac and he's one with nature he can't get cooped up in an office building and um he has all the crime detection apparatus they'll ever need which are the uncanny scenting powers of the fox the speed of the gazelle the sight of the owl and the agility of the monkey and so he's going to use these animals to help them find out who's blowing up the capital they find some more of those uh, mechanical chessmen they follow them. They try and stop them. One of them is stopped by some some of uh, Eagle Free's uh, doves, and they are killed. But this is all a decoy, poison pawn setup, as in chess. And so they they fight more of these things because they're going to the treasury building. And then they realize, oh, they they're powered by electricity. So let's go check out. Um, the power company and so at the power company they find out where an unusual amount of electrical power has been consumed and they go to the remote area where it's happening and it's this castle that has a chessboard in front of it with life-size chess pieces that are moving and that attack them and they're able to uh they get they get caught in uh the middle of all these chess pieces and then a trap door opens up beneath them and the president and his FBI director drop into the lair of the Russian queen, who is the new world champion and has defeated the chess master at his own game. But he says she cheated. Anyway, 
Eagle Free calls on some more of his birds who take revenge on her and attack her. She has lost the game. They take the gun away from her that she had on them and they put it on her. The final move is ours and they win. And at the end, we see that um, with all of the, the stolen money, they've recovered all of it except for one of the brand new dollar bills, which Prez has. And we see that George Washington has been replaced by Prez Ricard. Epilogue has an assassination attempt. They are talking to the old guys. And while they're talking to the old guys, there is a gunshot. A sharpshooter's bullet goes through the window. And the final caption says on May 3rd at approximately 835, one shot was fired into the president's office. 20 minutes later, an ambulance was seen leaving the White House. Security guards moved in to double up on an all-night vigil. Next issue, Assassin in the White House. Now, like I said, this is definitely uh, kind of going into that whole um, Bobby Fischer situation where Bobby Fischer defeated Boris Spassky in a chess match in Iceland. And that's uh, when Bobby Fischer became the first American chess champion this is something called the world the match of the century which was part of the world chess championship in 1972 i don't know much about it uh other than it's definitely part of the popular lexicon lexicon of the united states uh, if you go to wikipedia you can see all the moves of their chess match and or chess matches i should say and honestly i like to play chess, but um, I I am not this deep into things. I, I don't even know what I'm looking at here. But he won. He won, and it was a big deal. Um, it was considered, I think, kind of a major win in the Cold War. And obviously, when we have then this issue here, where you have uh, it's it's United States versus Russia, and he's calling for peace in our time, and the battlefield is a chess match. And you also have. Um, during this time, because uh, again, I was looking up what's going on in the Cold War in 1973 and, and before. You had the Summit Series, which was an ice hockey tournament between Canada and the, the Soviet Union. And the Russians were kind of the bad guys, obviously, uh, especially if you're here in the United States in the West. And this this is again where you also had Vietnam is still going on. And the there's... Uh, it wasn't until January of 73 that uh, we had the Paris Peace Accords. And so that's kind of, I mean, it's not even an overview really of, of the Cold War there in the, in the early 70s, but this is definitely referencing that and going into that. And uh, truthfully, this is kind of a, it's a goofy concept and I don't like, you know, it's not quite as bad as say what it might be if it was, you know, Shaggy and Scooby-Doo in the white house, but the whole idea of, you know, teenagers running things that I can get behind, uh, as, as a concept. And it's just the way that they, you know, the birds come and destroy one of the, the things by activating the bomb. Well, then the birds, you know, Eagle free did this, but he mourns them. You know, he says goodbye, my feathered friends. And so, uh, you know, to me it's, it's satire, but it's not great satire. I, I'd like to see more, um, and and I'd like to see it. Well, I don't know what I'd like to see. Well, let's just find out what we're going to see. Let's let's move to issue number three. 
So remember how last issue ended with a sharpshooter shooting through the window of the Oval Office and then the ambulance coming? Well, that's not where we start. <laughs> we start with a bunch of people in colonial soldier, uh, colonial American soldier uh, outfits marching on the White House and firing a cannon at the White House. And in that cannon is a bullet. And in that bullet is a small man, a dwarf, literally wearing like a dwarf's hat and a monocle. <laughs> and, and well, our, our old uh, senators are in there. And uh, so, I mean, it's kind of the setup from the end of last issue. But uh, we find out that this guy is a Washington Minuteman who... Uh, he says, this little invasion serves to dramatize our objection to your bill to outlaw firearms. And so it begins. They send the man out. Um, one of the senators knows this guy, knows that his name is Baron Von Stomp. And so it begins. Now, this issue is a lot more what I was kind of expecting. This is, has a lot more jokes, a, little, a lot more puns. Chapter two is called Winter at Valley Forgery. And it has uh, the leader of this group of Minutemen is actually the great, 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 great grandson of General George Washington. Um, and they they are trying to just get through the winter. And it's kind of funny because... Um, the chapter title is like the words form a hill and there's snow on the words. And there's like actually men standing and sitting on the words. And, you know, it's that you would expect that to just be a graphic image that is giving us the chapter title. But no, through the window of Washington's uh, office, it's there like. Winter at Valley Forgery is literally sitting outside his window and there's people around it. And so that's kind of one of those funny things where you have the, the spirit used to do it really well, where the title page would be a graphic design that would give you an image that would give you the emotional intensity of, of what the story you're about to read is. But then it's gone. You know, this, <laughs> it sticks around. So... And, and we get into more, more jokes. Um, Washington is having trouble with his crummy wooden teeth. They're grow they're sprouting buds. And so they bring the dentist whose name is Dr. Pullman. And, uh, he says, why must my false teeth constantly plague me? What kind of crumb bum dentist are you? And Pullman says, I'm a good dentist, Gregor, a lousy whittler, but a good dentist. Why don't you let me make you a set of plastic dentures? And so Gregor Washington gets upset and um decides he's gonna throw baron uh not baron uh, he, he asks baron tells baron to throw pullman in front of the firing squad and uh <laughs> on their way out uh baron says don't worry pullman we've been out of ammunition for months so this is when the the scene from last issue happens um he's in his office a shot rings out and the uh, the the ambulance comes and we get almost the exact same panel from that ambulance with the same caption. And this is in homes, schools and churches all through the nation. Millions of Americans grieve and pray for the Prez. And it shows all of these, you know, headlines. Is Prez alive? Secrecy cloaks assassination news. 
So that's chapter two. Chapter three is the dollar machine. And and they're in Valley Forgery, right? Well, that's what the Minutemen are doing. They are forging uh, bills. Of course, they're doing something no one has ever done before. They are forging $1 bills. No one's ever done it before because it's too expensive to print fake $1 bills. But with a new machine, it's almost as good as the real thing. You can't tell the phony from the original. And so they churn out enough dollar bills to feed and and clothe and everyone's everyone's great everyone's fine and so they are going to um go out and invade chapter four is invasion and so this is where they go out they're marching on washington and eagle free comes with a white flag they're going to challenge washington to a battle now they've known about washington and his minutemen for a long time uh, Eagle Free has known about them for a long time, has been investigating them for a long time. And Washington, he is going to accept this one-on-one battle, this kind of David and Goliath thing. The The thing is, he's going to send someone else in his place. Uh, someone who's taller, stronger, more powerful. And this is referencing the cover where uh, we have... Prez with uh, an assassin's scope around him and it says there's a kid in the White House and an assassin at large and a reporter saying is it true Mr. President you're meeting the revolutionary general in a fight to the death and Prez says yes if he has the guts and then Eagle Free shouts out sharpshooter chapter 5 is fight to the finish and Prez goes out to fight Gregor Washington and realizes that's not Gregor uh, but Eagle Free keeps pushing him, says, don't, don't worry, don't worry, fight him, just do it, just do it. And so we get a big fight and we get the revelation, um, the Prez gets the revelation of who this guy is. He knocks the wig off the guy and they fight and fight and fight and fight. And the giant man goes down. But Prez, he's going to, his, his soldiers are goading him on to finish this man, Eagle Free stops him before he can kill. And then Gregor tells his men, attack, attack. And so you have the revolutionary men uh, with some classic imagery reminding us of like the Alamo and stuff like that, where they're firing their guns and swinging their guns and they're going up against tanks and stuff. And Prez makes everyone stop. He's just heartbroken. Um, But the thing is, he, he realizes that, um, the guy who was pretending to be Washington was actually one of their men all along. And that's why Prez, Prez realizes, oh, that's why you want me to fight him. But that's also why you stopped me from from finishing him off. So battle over. The, the Minutemen have surrendered. Uh, Prez addresses the house. And he, he says, I've passed from a callow youth to a mature man. I've learned from this tragedy that force cannot be met. With cool phrases, love, or flowers. And the old people are saying, you're learning. Yay, warmonger, traitor, hawk. You know, so you have all these things where the the old people think he's on their side. The young people think he has betrayed them. And it's, <laughs> he, he then gives a speech about binding up the nation's wounds and having malice toward none and charity for all. And it's, you know, he, he, 
he still is clearly on the side that he was on before. It's just now he realizes that, that words aren't going to be the thing that makes the changes. You actually have to do the things. You have to work at the healing and stuff like that. And Eagle Free says your speech will go down in history along with Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and Washington's farewell to his troops. But they never did find out who the assassin was who actually fired the gun through the window. And it could have been anyone, a tradesman, an alien, or one of your guards. How will we find him? And Eagle Free says, we, well, I'm afraid he will find us. And then Prez says, we just can't seem to wrap up a story neat and tidy like, can we? So again, we're, we're getting that broken fourth wall. But at least this time it felt a little more jokey. And it was appropriate jokey, I think. Uh, but, you know, it was the kind of jokes that you're passing from a realistic story into um, more of that satire. And um, this one was a lot more fun to read. I, I found the Valley Foragery stuff to be fun. The Baron uh, and, and and the uh, the dentist, Mr. Dr. Pullman. <laughs> I found that to be a fun little bit uh, gimmick there. And yeah, I enjoyed this one. So la the next issue is the last. And that one, looking at the cover, <laughs> there's a creature. Well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. So it's taken the whole episode to get there. But this is this is the issue that makes the series for me. Now, the other ones I've enjoyed, they haven't been bad, but they haven't been like super great. This one goes gonzo. This one goes crazy. I mentioned already, at least I think I did before the break. The cover was funky. The cover has. Uh, I don't know how to explain the character, but you have Prez with his sweater that says Prez USA. You have uh, you have Eagle Free coming through the door with soldiers behind him. He's saying, we're too late. The creatures found the president. Uh, we have above the logo vampire in the White House. And then you have this creature that looks like he could be a vampire, but he looks more like a wolf man. He's got a gray tinge to his skin and he's on this rolling board. It's not a skateboard. It's just a board with 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 caster wheels on it. Kind of like the thing you'd lay down on to go and work on a car, you know, and slide yourself in and out. I don't know what it's called. I don't work on cars. Anyway, he, he's on that and he's like zipping up and grabbing Prez by the throat. And OK, so that cover, I mean, that's great. But sometimes, you know, the comic doesn't deliver on the cover. So we open to the first page. And we have this guy um, walking through a hall with a file folder. Uh, and then he's either putting the file folder in or taking something out to add to his stack of file folders. But it says, in the White House vaults, there is a secret file that will never be opened to the public. It contains sworn affidavits of eyewitnesses to a grim international incident so bizarre, so fantastic, that it threatened to destroy the presidency itself. Here, for the first time, you'll read all the incredible facts as they happened. The drawer is labeled Codename Dracula Confidential. It's not just the file, it's the drawer. The drawer is labeled Codename Dracula. And so, again, we're broken up into chapters here. Uh, the first chapter doesn't have a title, as often happens in comics. Um, but the issue itself absolutely does. Vampire in the White House. And so you have Prez Ricard, you have Eagle Free, and they're flying around. 
and they have gone to um, a place, the to Moro- Moravia, Moravia, and they have built um, a canal so they can irrigate their crops there. And when they leave, they look down and they see a, a, a patch of Europe that's covered in cloud. And then there's this kind of funny little, another little funny bit or whatever, where you have Prez and his mom, when they get to the White House, his, his mom, the vice president, is playing uh, ping pong with the, the diplomat from China. Now, they brought in, uh, they, they brought in translators but they sent the wrong translators. They sent the Nigerian translators to interpret. And so the way that they go about doing this is Eagle Free uses sign language to talk to the delegates from China. And Prez decides to take over playing ping pong against the, the main diplomat. And it's, uh, they're there basically to find out what in, are the intentions of the United States in Moravia. And, you know, they, they say, don't worry, there's nothing that they have that we want. We're just doing this to help them, tell them we're a nonviolent people. But as he says, we're a nonviolent people, he slams the ping pong ball and gets the point. Meanwhile, in the evening, uh, a helicopter shaped like a bat, basically. And this really does look like one of the old school Batman helicopters that lands just outside the White House and Eagle Free comes in, warns Prez what's happening. Prez comes out in his bathrobe to speak to whoever is getting out and it's Transylvania Airlines. We fly by night and a wolf man, a man, a wolf, a man with a wolf head wearing a three piece suit steps out carrying a strange looking briefcase, an angled briefcase that has six sides to it. One long side at the on the top and a short one that angles down. And then you have the front and the back. And then you have the same shape, that long side on the bottom, and then a short one that tapers up. He gets attacked. And they fight, they fight, they fight until the sun comes up. And then the man transforms from a wolf into a man. He is Wolfman, Ambassador from Transylvania. So they bring him into the Oval Office and he has a problem with the canal that they've just built and it's causing all their crops to dry up in Transylvania and um, when they say we won't do anything about the canal, we're going to leave it, uh, Transylvania declares war. And not just Transylvania, this declaration of war comes from Count Dracula the First. And this is where we start getting some of the lettering tricks that they're going to do. Um, Eagle Free says, but he was born 350 years ago. And then Prez says in, in these tall, shaky letters, and died with a stake in his heart. Ooh. And then Prez says to Eagle Free, do you believe this superstition? And Eagle Free says, is it superstition or is it supernatural? Ooh. Chapter two, wheeling death. <laughs> so this is where it gets... I mean, already was a little bit kind of weird, funky. Wolfman shows up, you know. Um, Prez meets with his people. He's talking with them. And Eagle Free gives them all a status report. And (laughs) they they turn to the researcher and he says, he finds an account of Transylvania. Um, It's a land of vampires. They have just been, uh, war has been declared on the United States by a land of vampires. And one of the generals says, that is correct, Mr. President, the living dead. 
but <laughs> he has those wavy letters again that are bigger than the typical comic book lettering. And the Living Dead is their bubble letters that have been colored in. And so they're, everyone's troubled by this. But that night in the office, the briefcase was left behind by Wolfman. And you can see this. Uh, I mean, this is Chekhov's briefcase, but it's not a briefcase. It is shaped like a very tiny coffin. And it's in the office. It falls over. It opens up. And out crawls Dracula. But he has no legs. And he has this wooden board that has the, the wheels that I was talking about from the cover. And he has these hand pieces um, strapped to his palms. And he's using that to squeak along through the hallways. Um, so he was smuggled in with a briefcase-sized coffin. Um, he goes into Prez Ricard's room and... <laughs> He's thinking about how ironic, you know, his people are you're crying for a drop of water. And before the sun rises, the president of the United States will be one of the living dead. But Eagle Free comes in just in time because he figured it out. You know, he was thinking of the strange suitcase, realized it was a coffin and that the wolfman was not carrying it when he left. And so Prez is saved from the vampire. He gets attacked again. But this time, Eagle Freeze doves attack the vampire and, and save him again. And then the vampire leaps into the air, swings on the chandelier. Eagle Free then pulls out a symbol. And the vampire looks at it and, what, it's a swastika? And Eagle Free says, no, it's a cross, the Indian hooked cross. And that's enough for the vampire to call off his attack and he runs away well rolls away down the hall and then they find out that um in chapter three which is called suicide mission that the the plot that transylvania has is they are going to be sending over a plane that has a bunch of bats that have been infected with rabies now this is a real thing um, this weaponized ra weaponized rabid bats is an actual thing that the United States and maybe other countries as well toyed with trying to figure out if it would work. And what they ended up finding out was it really it really didn't work very well. I think they might have even used it at least once, maybe in World War II in Germany or something like that. But the bats just nested in one place and then. You know, they were rabid, so they didn't last long. I don't know the details there, but look it up. It is something I, I heard about on a podcast. Um, it was either Stuff to Blow Your Mind or Stuff You Should Know. Both those are from How Stuff Works. And by the way, I recommend those podcasts. Those are the only professional podcasts that I listen to. Uh, it's kind of funny because in my notes for another podcast I'm going to be recording very soon, I reference those two podcasts as well. Anyway... Again, Congress is not happy because, you know, they have a plan, but they <laughs> they don't believe any of this. Congress does not believe any of this. They think they've gone too far. They wonder what's he smoking. And the public opinion just mounts up against Prez and pressure keeps getting put on him. But no one believes because no one witnessed which I don't know exactly what it means when there was all these eyewitness accounts from the first page when really the only eyewitnesses that you have here are Prez and Eagle Free. But Eagle Free has a plan. 
He's going to send his birds on a suicide mission to stop that plane. And he does a ceremony, a kamikaze ceremony that he says is based on what he knows about uh, Japanese uh, kamikaze pilots. And instead of giving them sake, he gives them bird seed, and then he sends them on their way. Now, flying this plane that's filled with these bats, it's actually Dracula and Wolfman. They they are the ones who are actually flying the plane. They're, you know, you want something done right, do it yourself. But the birds, they fly into the plane's engines. I mean, they just, they all fly into, I mean, and they get caught in there and, uh, you know, they get chopped to bits and the plane crashes into the water and the coast guard they saw the crash the nation is secure but prez is still not yet out of danger because he now has to face a federal court inquiry and he says well i won't be the first president to go through that hassle all i can do is tell my story and hope the court believes it and then eagle free says there's one thing that disturbs me if Transylvania surrenders, do we send American dollars to build her up again, as we have done with, with our vanquished throughout history? And then you can just cue the spooky music. Prez says, build up Transylvania? The land of the living dead? <laughs> so yeah, is it kind of dumb? It is kind of dumb, but it's the right kind of dumb. You know what I mean? I enjoyed myself, and, you know, honestly, watching the two... <laughs> Um, monsters just in action and I don't know what was going on I mean there is no backstory given to why Dracula had no legs no no backstory at all he just didn't have legs and was just rolling around on that thing Um, I imagine that like in his his place in Transylvania in his you know the presidential palace or whatever that he would maybe have an actual wheelchair but he's on a mission here and this he was delivered um, the leader of the nation was delivered as some sort of secret weapon into the White House to personally go after Prez. I mean, you got to admit that takes that takes some moxie there. You know, I like the cut of his jib. That's that's what I have to say about Dracula in this story. Uh, very different Dracula than we find fighting Doctor Strange in uh, and a very different uh, solution than we found with uh, Dracula fighting Doctor Strange in, in the in the Dracula versus Doctor Strange graphic novel that I was reading. But <laughs> I enjoyed it. I mean, it's got classic monsters. It's got them doing classic monsters things. And, you know, there's a, that added just bit of weirdness. Like, why is this? They don't explain why. They don't have to. It's just this is just who they are. The Wolfman does his thing, Dracula does his thing, Prez does his thing, Eagle Free does his thing, and we have a vampire in the White House. <laughs> so, now this isn't the first uh, presidential comic I've ever read. I mean, there's other comics that I've read that I, I thought about talking about for this episode. There is the one um, where Captain America rescues Ronald Reagan from um, the Serpent Society, and Later on, we find out that Ronald Reagan has been uh, infected by whatever, something they were putting in the water or something like that. And he was actually a vampire. Then I've already mentioned the Captain America and Nixon comic. Uh, Howard the Duck ran for president on, I believe, his ticket 
Um, it, there was, you know, the, the Democrat part, Democratic Party, the Republican Party, and then Howard the Ducks was the all night party. <laughs> so, um, but this is what I chose to do. I'm glad I did. I'm, I'm glad I did. These were fun. I have a feeling I might read these again. I, I know issue four is one that I'll be reading again. Uh, the other ones, maybe. It depends on if I try to read issue five. If I if I do get that out, maybe for the inauguration, um, for whoever wins this this election that we're about to have. Um, I so, <laughs> sometimes I feel like refusing between Wolfman and Dracula. Um, I'm not assigning anything. I'm not I'm not making an actual metaphor. I almost got in trouble for that on Facebook when I said something about King Kong versus Godzilla. And then people started asking, well, which one's King Kong? Which one's Godzilla? I specifically was staying away from that. I was just saying it was the kind of fight, you know. Anyway, um, I, I don't want to get political. Uh, I do want to say, though, this is probably the most fun I'm going to have with an election in this comic book. So... I hope you had fun listening. I hope you enjoyed finding out a little bit more about Prez and about uh, his adventures and about the historical context that he was in. Uh, it's very interesting that this happened before all the big stuff, the big stuff that, you know, I was born in 74. And so all the stuff that was happening around this time is all stuff that for me is history from before I was even born or right around the time I was born. And all that big stuff happened after this and you could easily see this actually existing and being uh, something that that would be a response to all of that but it wasn't um, and I, I guess what that shows me is people are always disillusioned and dissatisfied with their politicians um, I, I don't think that we're ever going to get away from that people are people and not everyone agrees and so someone's going to be unhappy no matter what but these comics they made me happy they put a smile on my face so thanks tom for selling me these comics and thank you for listening and i'd love to hear from you if you have any uh thoughts or any memories about these comics i'd, I'd love to hear about them um or if you think i should read the new prez comic uh, you can contact us at facebook.com slash comicbooktimemachine, or you can go to the Comic Book Time Machine, the website, comicbooktimemachine.com, and contact us through that, or you can email us feedback at comicbooktimemachine. So until next time, <laughs> all I have to say is watch out for wolfmen carrying small coffins. Uh, if they don't take the coffin with them, you're probably not going to get a good night's sleep that night. Um. With that advice, I also have to say, Godspeed.